We'll continue on in um, our discussion of the survey of the New Testament and uh, see what was going on as Christianity was moving um, with Paul's imprisonment and, uh, and what happened. So that's uh, the goal tonight is to go through some of those kind of things and uh, see his letters to the um, churches and his pastoral letters and the theology that began to emerge uh, for the New Testament. So there's a lot in those. The books get smaller, but the, the information is um, meaty because Paul had a time to sit with them. So that's where we'll be. Uh, since everybody's eating, I'll go ahead and pray. And uh, hopefully by the time we're done, someone else can have their mouth full and they can close us out. I'll look for a volunteer in that. Father, we are grateful for the day that you've given us for an opportunity to uh, be here. Um, we thank you for your word, which is truth, and the New Testament, which um, allows us to understand the gospel of grace and to live by it, um, to live according to your plans and purposes and, and uh, the knowledge that you have revealed to us. And so we're grateful for that. We thank you for these things. As we uh, get an overview of it, understanding some of the cultural characteristics and the movement of the message, uh, we just pray that our lives and our study will be enriched and that we'll know you better because of these things in Christ's name. Amen. So um, uh, when Paul was imprisoned, he began to write uh, to some of these other churches, and we uh, started last week and said that the four prison epistles were Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. So we're on page 28 uh, of your outline. I handed out uh, 29 through 32 tonight, if everybody has a copy of that. And... um, uh, we'll uh, continue on. So one of the uh, shortest books, Philemon, um, is the first one we're going to take a look at and, uh, and see. Philemon was a businessman at uh, the church in Colossae, and he had a slave named On- Onesimus who took off with some of his property and uh, tried to get over to Rome and um, just kind of blend in with the crowd and get lost. But in that place where Paul was imprisoned, he encounters this uh, man, Onesimus, and um, uh, imagine the fact that uh, Paul shared the gospel with him, and, <laughs> and he was converted. And so as a new believer, uh, Paul was dealing with this um, uh, young uh, former slave, uh, servant, and um, uh, shared some things with him and said that now as a believer, uh, you should conduct your life a little bit differently. But also Philemon, who was a believer, uh, he tried to get him to understand things, and so he wrote this letter, a very short uh, one, um, uh, one-chapter letter, but it has so much about the whole nature of forgiveness. And so our outline shows that um, as he was trying to send, uh, correct the wrong, the epistle was the note Paul sent him back with uh, hoping to correct the wrong and that Onesimus would be received and forgiven. Paul even offered to cover any financial loss, um, and it is a great letter of forgiveness and paints a complete picture of the nature of God's forgiveness to us. So there is an offense, um, and so we can certainly look back into our own offense and sin. There is compassion uh, on the one who is able to give compassion. There is intercession uh, by others. There is a substitution, and the gospel and Christ's work on the cross was our substitution there's restoration to favor, and then um, there's an elevation to a new relationship. And so all that is included, and in this um, new standing in Christ, uh, Philemon 
Paul asked uh, Philemon to extend the divine forgiveness that he has received in Christ. So if you're ever just wondering about forgiveness again, good book to go to and just kind of read through and see uh, the whole nature of the grace that has been extended to us and uh, remind us that um, we could probably live a little bit better in grace situations. So. Uh, the next book was uh, in the outline is Ephesians. Ephesians is uh, written after many churches had been founded and was intended to circulate through those churches. So even though it's written uh, to one church that was known, it was supposed to meant to uh, be copied and circulated and uh, sent out. It was to take the um, novices in the faith to a deeper place. And uh, so you'll see some things in the, in the book of Ephesians that really deals with a more maturing uh, faith. So um, uh, th- those are some of the uh, greater things. And I don't know how often you've studied the book of Ephesians, but it really talks about the, um, uh, the greater attributes of the faith that we have in there, the more excellent things. So... Uh, um, it starts out with uh, the sovereign purpose of the church um, is the first half of the book and elaborates the divine plan of redemption. Uh, the second half emphasizes the walk or the conduct of the believer, which is lived out in practicality. Um, so this, uh, um, there, there's a contrast with a former way of life and realizing that our life is lived in the heavenlies in a spiritual realm. <coughs> Uh, which is different than the physical realm that we once uh, used to live in. So the spiritual life becomes important. It talks about the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in all these means. And uh, that's kind of the end of that uh, uh, section there. But the the Holy Spirit becomes the seal of acceptance. Uh, We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, accepted by Christ um, and united with him. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the means of access to God. The Holy Spirit is the source of revealed truth, the secret of universal power, the bond of unity, uh, the mentor of thinking and speech, and the stimulus for joy, and the armorer for conflict. So when we're doing spiritual battle, it is the Holy Spirit who is able to equip us and prepare us for those things. Um, This material is included in many of of Paul's other writings, but this single book uh, has it all kind of um, uh, unified together in, in one thing. And um, the goal of the book of Ephesians is for the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and to build up each believer into full maturity. So um, our motto for the church here, for Grace Bible Church, is um, to equip the saints, to fully equip the saints Um, for the work of ministry, and uh, Ephesians lays that out very well. So it's it's not for the new believer, but it's, um, well, it it is, because it's all, we're all new believers to start with, but we're all able to get all the things of maturity. So it is a book that deals uh, with some of the more weightier things uh, of faith, and so it's a great book to strengthen us. Colossians um, was a big, Colossae was a big trade city, and um, it was starting to lose some of its prominence as other cities around it were beginning to grow. But it still had quite a bit of traffic from the Orient, and so it was a great point of um, a place that people were going through. But one of the things that started happening is people were introducing additional ideas, and uh, Paul wrote this letter to address some of those. It was through this that people were um, starting to... 
uh, live a more ascetic life and uh, kind of do voluntary humiliation. They thought that angels were revealing certain things. And um, some of these practices carried over uh, throughout church history where people began to um, flog themselves and do different things to kind of show their devotion. Uh, and people thought that that was something there. So uh, he deals with, uh, Paul writes and deals with some of that stuff and says none of those things matter uh, in terms of your standing in relationship with Christ. Uh, and so um, all those uh, ceremonial things and the worshiping of angels and, and uh, those kind of things don't do it. So what he wanted to do was he really wanted to set forth that Christ should be the focal point. Uh, of our ministry, not ourselves, not the things that we do. And uh, so that's what he wrote. So there's a great uh, uh, movement of Christology in here in uh, Philippians 1, uh, 14 through 22. So let's take a moment and read through that and uh, just see how he really um, points out what uh, um, who Christ is and, and how he should be the focus of all things. So Philippians 1, uh, 14 says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. So he, they, they thought that... Um, he thought that you know they were trying to um, uh, make his situation worse while he was in prison. Um, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Uh, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, that's not his initial salvation. That's his um, maturing and ongoing salvation is uh, what he's talking to about there. So that as all these things were compounded, as people's uh, attitudes, as they were trying to diminish his work, it was working out for, his glory, uh, for, um, for God's glory through Christ and for Paul to be empowered by it. And so the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ uh, was coming to him. He was living in his position in in uh, the current state of salvation, in his present state of sal- present tense salvation. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And so he was just saying that all in all, um, his life is lost in Christ and his position in Christ. And when he lives in that place, uh, he can glorify God. So um, it really um, uh, emphasizes uh, that living in our Christian uh, position, in Christ's position. The book of Philippians um, is a book of uh, um, 
uh, speaks of highly of the gospel, uses the term the gospel several times, and it's got a couple things in here where uh, the Greek text, I, I emphasize that the Greek text talks about a couple things. So um, uh, using the preposition ice in the gospel, meaning that because of the gospel, we have certain things, and so those are fellowship, and the other one is service. Uh, because of the good news of Christ and what he's done for us, um, as a community, we have some different things together. And then the gospel, uh, of course, is emphasized for progress, for uh, the defense, uh, for worthiness of the gospel, uh, striving for the faith, and, uh, and other things. But the thing to most note about the book of Philippians is um, that Paul really stresses uh, the expression of joy as a reality of the Christian life. This is important because um, uh, while he was in Rome and he didn't know what was going on, uh, his enemies sought to undermine his work. And um, uh, since he was going to have a trial that could result in his execution, he could have been seen as someone who was subverting uh, the, the life of the Roman Empire. He didn't really know what was going on. And yet he rejoiced in every remembrance of the Philippians because Christ was preached, whether sincerely or, or hypocritically. In the growth of humility in his followers, in his personal sacrifice for Christ, and the gifts and goodwill of his friends. All through the epistle there is a brilliant joy of faith contrasted with the somber background of untoward circumstance and of impending disaster. So as he uh, waited in prison, not knowing what was um, uh, going to befall him, did I read the wrong thing when I did I read I read Philippians instead of Colossians, didn't I? No one corrected me. No one stopped me. You got Christology in it. So, <laughs> all right. So, because I'm, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. A lot of this sounds like it's more this. So, uh, I apologize, you. We'll have to go back and read through some of that stuff later. So, but no one stopped me. Listening. No, we were reading along, but I okay. was trying to see what the correlation was. So, well, thank you. Um, I thought Colossians was self-explanatory, so we just went right on. <laughs> <laughs> I just, well, that was bad. Yeah. All right. Well. We can go back. We can go back? All right. We'll go back. Uh, I was dancing around a little bit, wasn't I? Okay. Uh, Colossians 1, 14. Colossians 1, uh, 14. He's talking about... Um, uh, I should know this because this is what I've been uh, sharing in my teaching. All right. Uh, he's talking about being delivered from uh, the power of, of dominion and darkness into the kingdom of the dear son. And then he points out uh, that in this kingdom, in this son, uh, this is what we have. In whom, this is the Christology, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. 
And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. And so the fullness of Christ is um, revealed through the church. Uh, he was everything. He was the beginning. He was the end. He created everything. And so Christ is the fulfillment uh, of all things, and the revelation of that is to come out through the church. That's what uh, um, Colossians was in the Christology uh, that was in there. Um, and so Paul was really emphasizing that uh, to, the, uh, to the Colossian church, that they should not um, partake in these other things, that they should not get involved in ceremonial things, that there is no other gospel uh, that's going to come, that's going to make uh, anything um, more impactful than the fullness of Christ who came and dwelt among us. And it was the fullness of God himself who came and dwelt us. And so we have that opportunity to live in there. Um, so then, from there, uh, we can move to Philippians. And, um, and so while he was in prison, Paul was uh, uh, wondering uh, whether or not he was going to uh, be able to live. And so when he addresses those things, that whether I live or whether I die, he didn't know what his fate was going to be, um, but he was prepared either way. And, uh, and so he said, if, um, if, if these things are going to happen. Now, while he was in prison, we get, like I said, we get these letters that are being written. And so the churches are being strengthened through his communication. But more importantly, too, Christianity is becoming fully established. And so what we see is that in spite of Paul's confinement, it's evident his ministry was not dead. The enforced retirement from travel provided more time for prayer and for contemplation, out of which came the priceless revelation of the prison epistles. Paul brought Christianity to the forefront of the Roman government, which compelled the civil authorities to pass upon its legality. If it was to be a permitted cult, the persecution of it would be illegal and its security assured. If, on the other hand, it was adjudged a forbidden cult, then the ensuing persecution would only advertise it and offer an opportunity for a demonstration of its power. As uh, Kevin just said in the first one, when there's lying and when there's opposition, God's church is strengthened. And so either way, the church was going to come out uh, in a better place of this. During Paul's imprisonment, the church came out from under the banner of Judaism and formed its own ranks as an independent movement. It was now ready for even greater advances in missionary expansion. And so it was now, you know, before there was the Roman government that was seen as gods and they permitted Judaism to exist. Now they've made the decision to permit 
um, Christianity to exist as well. And so um, uh, the church begins to make some movement. Uh, if it was persecuted, and it will get persecuted again, uh, we're going to see those things. And as always, God's purposes prevail and uh, his will is done. So we'll see that. Uh, while Paul was also in prison, he establishes these other letters uh, to deal with um, some of his ministers who were out working. So they're called the pastoral epistles, and he gives some direction to them uh, as they're working uh, in the churches. And so let's take a look at, uh, at those. Um, so he had these leaders who had been trained with him, and he had taken out and around, uh, and they had access to him while he was in prison. Um, and so um, he would be able to communicate through them and with them. Timothy had been a key leader in Ephesus, but he did not stay there, and Titus ministered in Crete. The organization of the church had increased in complexity, with titles like bishop, deacon, and elder. Some sought the prestige of the office rather than usefulness. Um, and so uh, there were some who, you know, and probably still to this day, uh, want to go by title of bishop and think that they're important, uh, missing out on what was really happening. I thought you didn't like him to do that, but now you, you, it's grown on you now, huh? Um, so Bishop Kevin, uh, right up there with Bishop T.D. Jakes, right? Oh, yeah, that's good company. <laughs> so, um, and, and, uh, but uh, Scripture tells us that it's a, good, it's a good office to desire, that's one of the good desires that uh, Scripture tells us about, is that to uh, seek the position of an elder um, and to desire that is, is really something good. And so Paul begins to write some of these things and encourage and address those who are taking formal leadership within church positions, and then to do it well. Uh, so he gives instructions. He also gives instructions to the widows. They were um, part of the church and were to be encouraged, and they had certain responsibilities um, in the social aspect of the church and to watch over some of the younger women and, and guide them into certain places so that they uh, could remain useful. Um, the services started to take on some uh, features, so continual worship service and gatherings uh, started to have a little bit more formality. Uh, and so you see some of those things with uh, particularly reading, preaching, and teaching. And um, uh, this one and, uh, was done in the local churches. Again, they didn't have scripture to uh, refer to. Um, and as the spiritual gifts were still being exercised and moved, uh, they would confer by laying on of hands. And that was um, the laying on of hands uh, for Timothy to um, encourage him to go out to be the leader. So... It was just a sign of, um, of accepting the fact that God had moved him into a position of pastor-teacher and, and uh, the passing of that. As the second and third generation of believers arose, the theology of the church was increasingly taken for granted and became decreasingly vital. So, you know, people just kind of started getting lazy about uh, what, it, what uh, the gospel meant and they... You know, they kind of felt like they were kind of grandfathered into this uh, little community of faith. And, and um, uh, so certain things started happening. We see that they argued a lot and 
had different problems and heresies began to rise up. And so that's why Paul has to start addressing some of these issues with the letters. So as he's in prison and can't address them in person, he addresses them through these letters for us. And when we look uh, through the letters, we see a lot of great uh, advice and um, structure for the churches to live by. Uh, Timothy was a trustworthy but not forceful character. He was probably about 30 years old when Paul assigned him a pastorate. It gave the impression of immaturity. And uh, so we see these some of those comments in there. So, um, And with that, you know, people would kind of uh, look down on him as he came around things. And so Paul was telling him to, to toughen up a little bit. He was timid. Uh, he was subject to stomach trouble. Uh, he didn't make corn mash in the bathtub. No, that's a whole other, so we probably shouldn't go there. Um, and the two letters that bear his name were intended to encourage him and to strengthen him for the task Paul had laid before him. When, you, uh, when he was appointed to the churches um, and had this, this situation, Paul had enough confidence in him and who he was, uh, but Timothy didn't have enough confidence in himself. So he was writing the letters to him to say, look, you have this. Uh, God is in you. God is with you. And uh, here's some of the things that you need to do. So he gives them some advice. Um, and uh, reminds him of the responsibility to keep him uh, from quitting the difficult tasks. Uh, so Paul moved uh, at this point to uh, a role of encourager as he's writing to Timothy. Um, he gives him an official commission. It deals with the matters of organizational importance in the church regarding devotion, doctrinal problems, and administrative policies. Uh, Paul also addresses aspects of relationships and dealing with members of the congregation. And he finishes uh, the writings to Timothy with four imperatives uh, to flee, follow, fight, and keep. So let's take a look at those. Um, So for those who are uh, in ministry or um, considering ministry, these are some good things uh, to keep in mind. So that's going to be... 1 Timothy 6, 11, yes. 1 Timothy 6, 11. Uh, let's um, back it up because those are the things that he says that they're supposed to, to flee. So... Um, well, I guess let's just take it, uh, um, verse 3, 1 Timothy 6, 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be uh, therewith content. 
But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith and hold on uh, and faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom he honor and power everlasting. Uh, amen. And so in that he's, um, he's telling uh, Timothy to, you know, Set aside all those little disputings and the minor things. Keep the main thing the main thing. Flee from those distractions. Uh, follow uh, the charge that I've given you. Uh, fight and keep uh, to those things that God has uh, revealed to you. And, and uh, so good, good instruction for everybody um, in their personal piety and, and, uh, and life, but particularly uh, for pastors. And I think... Um, uh, we should be grateful. Our pastor has has uh, always seemed to demonstrate those kind of things. I haven't been here as long, but when you see that he has been faithful uh, throughout his time here and has endured those things and gotten caught up with all the things that, that other people do, hasn't tried to get um, gain uh, to prove that, that what he's doing is right. He's just stayed true to the Word of God and really emphasizes that. So uh, I don't know if he was considered himself a young man like Timothy and used this uh, in growing from the early part of his ministry, but uh, I just see that he has always been um, faithful in those things. And and um, uh, I guess my own personal reflection says, well, I sure could have grown a lot if I would have read more Timothy when I was... Uh, Starting out in ministry. So that's just a side note. Titus, on the other hand, uh, is the next um, young pastor that he writes a letter to and uh, offers him things. Titus uh, was maybe a little bit more of a, a strong, stronger person, um, and uh, he was given an even more difficult task. So here, Timothy kind of gets an easy charge and is struggling with it. Um, Titus gets the hard work. And uh, he goes to the church in Crete. It was pretty unorganized, and the, the members were careless in their behavior. Uh, the men were lazy and careless. The older women gossips and wine-bibbers, and the young women idle and flirtatious. Uh, sounds like... <laughs> um, huh? Yeah. Uh, sin running rampant uh, among the people, and somehow that had to get uh, under control. So... Uh, their own natural tendencies, uh, coupled with a Judaizing group of teachers, brought about a considerable amount of moral perversity that needed to be checked. And so um, uh, some people would come in and they'd try and tell them to live by law. Uh, and uh, um, 
you know, whenever you start putting law on people who are this uh, far away from uh, uh, from holiness, then all it does is it just kind of brings that out a little bit more. You know, tell someone, stop doing this, stop doing this, and it just goes on more. So um, he had some problems, uh, but he was given this... Um, uh, this this challenge. So he was, uh, Titus himself was a Gentile convert and a good friend of Paul. Uh, he was strong, he had himself strong character and he could deal with opposition so he could stand uh, in this place. Two, passage in, two passages in Titus um, almost form a creed, uh, but there is no real creed in the New Testament. Um, so, uh, but, it, but it talks about really the um, um, the theology that exists in an overarching way. So again, uh, let's take a moment and read uh, some of these things as we uh, see what uh, the book of Titus, short book, powerful book, in understanding um, grace as a way of living. So in Titus uh, 2.11 is where we're going to start. And... Um, and then we'll read through uh, three seven, is where that is. So Titus two, uh, eleven. Uh, so the beginning part of that is, um, you know, they're saying uh, that Titus should teach uh, various things to deal with all these issues that are uh, in some of these people. They had some issues. He says, now you can't just teach it by law. He says you teach it by grace. He says, and that's in verse eleven. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, um, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present uh, age, is what that is. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our, even our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So Titus was really charged with grace uh, teaching uh, that empowers and, and uh, that when, when grace is continually extended, um, it begins to corral the behavior of people into a lifestyle uh, that glorifies God. So uh, not, not law, not legalism, um, but grace teaches those things and moves people to where God would want them to be. Um, carrying on, uh, these things speak and exhort, verse 15, and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving, uh, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit." which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And, uh, and so all those things uh, that come out really emphasize uh, these uh, aspects of the Christian life. 
we can see God's personality in this, his kindness, his, his loving, uh, his initiation of works. Um, so his qualities of love and grace come out. We can see title and function of Savior, that man apart from God cannot do it on his own, um, and we needed someone to actually come in and be a rescuer. We see the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, all uh, characterized in there. We see that Christ was not just a man, but he was, uh, uh, he was God as well. Uh, we see atonement, that, um, that we can have uh, reconciliation uh, with God and substitution by Christ for our, on our behalf. Universal salvation by grace. Um, indwelling Holy Spirit, justification by faith, and sanctification of His people, separation from evil, inheritance of eternal life, and the return of Christ. It demonstrates that the pioneer church had some recognized standards of doctrine and faith policies that brought about conformity in those believing. And so by grace, uh, they were able to kind of um, uh, exemplify the characteristics of Christ dwelling in them. And, um, and so Paul emphasizes that. And, and again, these people's uh, lives began to reflect it as Titus uh, built them up by grace. So, um, the second letter to Timothy, Paul's farewell letter to his successors, reveals a church fighting for its life against the malicious jealousy of a frustrated Judaism and against the corrupt indifference of a decadent paganism. So you got um, uh, you got hardcore legalists on one side, uh, you got paganism on the other side, and he instructs Timothy to prepare as if going to war, that things would get worse, uh, and that the knowledge of Scripture was the only antidote for the influx of evil. Uh, Paul's final charge is the passing of the torch to a younger, more vital generation to carry on. Uh, to herald the world, the word uh, with authority. Karuksan tan logon. So, <laughs> all agreeing in subject or something. I don't know my endings. I just remember that. All right, um, and then uh, um, what we got here? The suffering church. Um, yeah. So. We talked about the idea that um, uh, the church was supposed to be, you know, as Paul was in his defense, that he was supposed to be permitted uh, uh, to go out and, and the church wasn't going to happen. So uh, that's the end of uh, Paul's writings in epistles. But Peter addresses some things as well. Um, so uh, while Paul is still waiting or while his... Um, uh, trial is is waiting and things are going. Persecution of the church begins to pick up, um, and uh, uh, we we see a couple things here uh, that are important for us to remember. Uh, the church will suffer. Um, uh, opposition against Christianity is always going to be there because we know that Satan is running this uh, world system. And until you know, just as we learn in in uh, God's will. Um, he allows opposition, uh, and, and with that, it grows uh, the church and it grows people. Um, as a side, I was asked on Sunday um, about some of that, and it's, it's just that whole idea of, uh, you know, sometimes we think, well, why doesn't it just become easier, right, if we believe? <laughs> but, um, uh, but Paul addressed it when he said that he 
glorifies God by uh, pronouncing his um, weaknesses, because in his weaknesses he's made strong, and God fills those kind of things. And so growth uh, for us to have means that it's going to come with some kind of struggle. Uh, and the church, when it grows, is facing some kind of struggle. So it's important to be reminded that Christianity is a spiritual movement, not a political one. And uh, every time that we have elections, we should remember that's not going to solve um, that's not going to solve our problems. Only God's going to solve our problems, uh, not our politics. Uh, we have seen that it was considered a permitted cult in the imperial world and existed because it was ignored uh, if it didn't cause a disturbance. So that was the result of Paul's imprisonment. The application of Christian principles had political consequences, but neither Christ, the apostles, nor believers were revolutionists or agitators. And, you know, sometimes uh, we kind of forget that. And you see the same thing when the uh, pilgrims came to America and, and they tried to force a certain uh, uniformity and conformant of code. All it did was just uh, raise up the sin nature. And so we don't have that. There's people who today think that, you know, we need to take back our American politics and we need to enforce God's standards of living. Um, that's not going to bring about a, a, a more perfect people. It's only people who are submitted to Christ that are going to be able to show that. And so um, it's following Christ that allows the difference to be seen. Um, and as people do that, not enforcing Christian values on people, uh, particularly non-believers. Around the time of Paul's presumed death, the Christian church was distinct from Judaism and belief in an invisible God, a risen Christ, a coming judgment, and a complete overthrow of the existing world created misunderstanding and hatred. So um, uh, things were changing um, as, as they did this. They weren't trying to create something, but I'm reminded, uh, again, I shouldn't probably go off my notes, but I'm reminded uh, back in... in um, uh, Joshua, where he encounters the angel, and he says, uh, I'm not coming here to choose sides, I'm coming here to take over. And that's really what life in Christ is. It takes over, and it means we're not choosing uh, political sides like this. And so as that movement happens, uh, it certainly creates a com competition against the existing structures. And uh, so that's what was going on. So Nero was threatened by this, and so he accused the Christians um, that they were promoting uh, uh, Nero's accusations against Christians promoting hostile criticism of the movement was a concern for the church in this era. So he was he just kept pointing and and uh, saying, "Oh, the Christians are doing this. Or Christians are doing this." He he'd start uh, lighting fires in places in the city and just blaming the Christians um, because he was trying to get rid of them. And I think people say the same thing happened. Uh, when they pointed out the Jews, and happens many times in histories, that you find someone to scapegoat and isolate. And uh, that's what Nero was doing, was pointing to the Christians. So that caused persecution. Peter then writes this letter of encouragement um, to the suffering church facing persecution. Uh, suffering is mentioned 16 times in the text, in the current state of suffering, and that even darker days may lie ahead. So they were currently in the midst of suffering, and he says, uh, it's probably going to get worse before it gets any better, so suck it up and move on. No. Um, in addition to the theme of suffering that pervades the epistle, there is a counter theme 
of the true grace of God. Suffering should be met with grace and should develop grace in the individual. Um, and so that certainly demonstrates uh, maturity. Uh, when we face opposition, when we face challenges, if we're able to respond with grace, uh, it means we're starting to get it. If we keep reacting to the things that are going on, um, that means we probably have a lot of growing to do. And uh, so that's what uh, he's pointing out here. Um, uh, the term appears uh, many times uh, about suffering and grace. Uh, actually, I think it's the grace term appears. Um, in the greeting, as a summary of the message of the prophets, as the expectation of the future, as the pattern for conduct under abuse, as the fullness of the blessings that come to an answer to prayer, as the equipment for spiritual service, and as the favor which God shows to those who wait on him humbly. And, uh, and so grace really is the answer. Um, you know, Kevin says it, and we hear it, and we know it, but you know, it's re-emphasized, and uh, uh, it's just important that we, uh, that we understand that. Peter draws on his personal experience with Christ. Um, and uh, we see some of those reference and references. And I really, uh, um, I'm just always awed when I read his recollection and John's recollection of what they saw on that mountain of transfiguration when, um, when Christ uh, allowed his divinity to be seen by these couple of people. And you can just see when you read uh, their writings that it had an impact on them. Um, and, uh, and so sometimes we just kind of gloss over some of those things, but it really made a difference. Um, so they had a lasting impression uh, of Gethsemane and the crucifixion. Uh, he is at his regenerate best in this epistle, a result of being born again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It shows the Christian how to live out their redemption in a hostile world. Uh, salvation may involve suffering, but it brings a hope also as the grace of God is amplified in the individual life. And so, again, the emphasis of grace uh, is, is vitally important. And, um, you know, we live in a sin-sick world, and two things that I read about over the weekend just are appalling, the way that humans behave. Um, and the things that people do, and um, um, you know, a little grace goes a long way if we can understand that, and it's certainly something we have to do. So the things that I mentioned, I don't know if I did, if um, you're aware of them, but I mentioned one. There was a, a an incident of people shoveling snow, and um, it got out of hand. I don't know the beginning details, but uh, two people were murdered, and the man committed suicide because of snow shoveling. Obviously, there was something that was building up for a long period of time in these people's lives as they lived across the street from each other, but no grace demonstrated any way, shape, or form. And then the world that is just trying to suck people in to, doing, to being famous is the world that we live in. And there was an incident where a guy was standing in the parking lot while his kids were in a trampoline park, and someone was trying to record a prank to be famous on YouTube, came at this guy with a cleaver, a big meat cleaver, saying, I want your money, I'm going to get your money. 
He did it to a guy who was a concealed carrier. It did not go well for the guy who was trying to play the stupid game. Um, we live in a sin-sick world, and grace really is the only answer. Um, and yet the world tries to ostracize those who live by grace. So expect it, know it, and um, realize that we are in a privileged position to demonstrate this grace to an outside world.